Let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh, Jesus, we thank you so much that you have been present with us here this day. God, it has been so good to, to sing and to, to read from your word and to pray of your wonderful grace and the things that you have done for us. God, we know as we come before you that we are not deserving to receive such blessings. But God, you are so good, much better than we actually realize. And we pray this morning that you would feed our souls through your word today. God, that where we need to be rebuked, that you would rebuke us. Where we need to be encouraged as we wrestle with the struggles of sin in our lives, that you would encourage us. Lord, that you would uh, take those that are downtrodden and, and uh, under the load of sin that you would set them free. God, we thank you so much that you are mighty and powerful and pray that you would speak to us even now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever known someone who has type 1 diabetes or multiple sclerosis or Crohn's disease or maybe lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or, or asthma or really any autoimmune disease? If you do, you probably know how difficult those diseases can make their life, how much pain that they have to put up with, just to even try to do simple, ordinary things that you and I do all the time. But I think what's so sad about autoimmune diseases is that they happen because healthy cells are destroyed by the person's body. So what we see is, is that the body actually attacks itself and causes this Ill illness. So the immune system that was designed by God to protect a person actually attacks the healthy tissue. Now, as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking, you know what? There are spiritual autoimmune diseases as well that attacks the body of Christ. That... As we, as we think about it, the autoimmune disease in the body of Christ that, that attacks it is oftentimes just as painful, causes great difficulty, not only in the Christian's life, but in the life of the church as well. And specifically what I'm talking about is the sin of pride or the sin of arrogance, the sin of exalting ourselves above each other or even thinking too much about ourselves. Uh, rather than thinking about other. Now, pride isn't a funny thing, and I don't mean funny ha-ha, but funny interesting, you know, in the sense that we can easily spot pride in other people, but oftentimes have trouble finding it or seeing it in our own lives. And some of the proudest people that I know personally are people who, are, who would consider themselves very humble, and yet they're very critical of the pride in other people. But that's, you know, part of that, I think, in our struggle with pride is the fact that it's not a new thing. You know, it's actually been around even before the world that we live in was created. Well, the very first uh, swelling of pride was in the heart of Lucifer, as we read in Isaiah 14. And, of course, it led him to rebel against God, along with about a third of the angels of heaven. And, of course, God cast Lucifer out of heaven, where he became Satan, the adversary of God and of the people of God. 
And from that sad beginning so long ago, pride has roared throughout human history. And we can look at different examples of that. But James uh, understands that. He sees that in his readers. And so he wrote the words of our text in order to warn them, but also to warn us as well, of several expressions of pride that he often sees in the church. The first of which is arrogance in the way that we view other people. And we see that here in verses 11 and 12. But also an arrogance in the way that we view the future in verses 13 through 17. And then finally, an arrogance in the way that we view our money in, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now, lest you think we're going to take the time to go through all that, we are not. We're only going to look at the first one this morning in verses 11 and 12. And that is the arrogance in the way that we view each other and in the words that we speak to each other. And James wants us to see this um, as we look at verses 11 and 12. Let me read it once again so it's before us. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, James is speaking to Christians to persuade them to not speak against each other. Now, some of your translations may have the word slander there. Okay, and that's, that's a good translation as well. But what the idea there is, is that we are not to speak evil of each other. I mean, it's very inappropriate for those of us who share a common life uh, because we have been purchased by Jesus' atoning sacrifice by his death on the cross in our place to speak against others who have received that same blessing. Psalm uh, 15, verse 3, uh, speaks of this. As a matter of fact, it describes the citizen of Zion or the citizen of heaven as one who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. That's what is to characterize those of us that would call ourselves Christians. Or Leviticus 19.16, where God commands his people, he said, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You must not speak evil of other people. But we see God's people doing this throughout the Bible, do we not? Both in the Old and the New Testaments. And, you know, there's always grumbling and complaining Amongst God's people, against God, first and foremost. I mean, you think about the Israelites. What did they do? God, they didn't have water, and so they complained against God. So what did he do? He provided water. They go on a little ways later. They needed water again. Rather than saying, oh, God, who is gracious. I know that last time we needed water, you provided it. So we cry out and we ask humbly, God, that you would provide water again. What did they say? Oh, Lord, we need water again. And they started complaining and grumbling against him. Or, or the one that really hits way too close to home for me, probably, is when the Israelites grumbled because they were hungry, and so God gave them what? Do you remember, kids? He gave them manna, this bread that they could eat, and they ate that, and it was there every day that they needed it. Okay? But what did they do? God, we're tired of bread. God, can you not give us some variety in our diet? 
we'd like some meat. God, please. You know, and so they began to grumble and to complain against the Lord, even though he had met their need. Anyway, but not only did people complain against God, but even against each other as well. Uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 is a story where Miriam, it says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. And so here are, are Miriam and Aaron uh, coming against Moses, the, the leader that God has raised up, and come to find out they're, they're really opposing his leadership. And so later on, we read in verse 9 of that same chapter, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, that is, against Miriam and against Aaron. And he departed, God departed. And it says, it goes on and it says, and when the cloud removed from over the tent, that's when the Lord departed, it says, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. She had leprosy because she had rebelled against the Lord's anointed. And she had to eventually spend seven days outside the camp to be purified before the Lord healed her body. And aren't we like that? Can you guys relate to this or am I the only one that this just hits home? I told my wife, I said, I really don't want to preach this sermon. It is way too close to, to home. But, you know, let's go back to James, if we could, just again, as we're thinking about this idea of being tempted to speak against other Christians. In the word that he uses there to, to, in the Greek to speak evil against, or like I said, some of the translations say slander, it means more than just openly subjecting someone to verbal abuse. It really is the idea of any statement made with the purpose of belittling someone or harming their reputation. It's when we want to put other people down. We want to sort of exalt ourselves higher than they are and, and um, make everybody think that we're better than other people. The law calls it defamation of character. I think we oftentimes refer to it as uh, smearing someone's good name or damaging their name or even maybe character assassination is a word I've heard more recently that, that people will use. But because it is a statement that is true or not, it really includes a whole bunch of things. It could be everything from telling out-and-out -out lies against someone uh, that you know or if, since it could be a true statement as well, it could be something that we say to someone uh, purely to hurt them or to cause others to think less of them. Now, it's amazing how many times I hear Christians say, whenever I, I might challenge someone on that um, and say, you know, should you be talking about that person in that way? And you know what we oftentimes say as Christians? But it's true. Almost like that makes everything okay. If it's true that they're like that, then I can just tell everybody in the world what a terrible person they are or whatever it is or confess their sin. But the reality is, is that, that that is not true. And there are several kinds of, of evil speaking that uh, we could talk about this morning and give different examples of. But I appreciate Thomas Manton. He's a Puritan writer and he really gives two classifications of evil speech that I think we um, need to be aware of. The first is what he calls whispering. That is when we put others down privately, sort of behind their backs. You know, we sort of roast a person when they're not there and sort of talk about them. Well, the other is backbiting. That's more of a public thing. It's where, uh, the, where we're not really discriminating in the things that we, we say about people in public. 
Now, I want to talk just a little bit about these two areas um, just to help us to be thinking about ways that we might be tempted to speak evil of others, you know, so that if, if you can relate to this, then, you know, then you can take this matter before the Lord. But just here again, like I said, these are just a couple examples. But I think with backbiting, you know, maybe you've experienced this where you've grown up in a church. I know I did where there was actually a lot of fighting. And you would come on Sunday morning and you just knew that there were certain people in the church who were very critical. And I don't care what you did. If you said white, they would say black. If you said black, they'd say white. You know, there was always just going to be a disagreement no matter what it was. And so backbiting can be just that in your face where a person always opposes you. They criticize you. It could be like that. But oftentimes as Christians, we're more... uh, we're better at sort of like trying to hide our sins. And so oftentimes we try to disguise some of the backbiting and the gossiping and the speaking evil of others that we do. And so sometimes it takes the form of sharing one another's burdens. You know, and we've talked about this in the past. In the name of concern for others and sharing each other's burdens, that Christians will sort of share prayer requests and prayer meetings. Oh, Lord, help sister so-and-so. You know, she's not feeling well. I know she went out drinking and probably drank too much, but, you know, still, we need to pray for her and just pray that she'll be doing better. And, you know, it may be something like that. Uh, or it may be just sharing inappropriate information in a, in a public setting so that other people can see the struggles that other people have or maybe even the sins that they're wrestling with. But the Bible, and, you know, the Bible does tell us to, to care for one another's burdens. We see that in Galatians 6. But we need to ask ourselves, anytime we're tempted to share information like that, is, is what we are sharing building others up or is it putting them in a bad light? Let's say the shoe was on the other foot and the person that we're talking about would share the same kind of things about us. Would we feel comfortable with that? And oftentimes the answer is, is no. And I think we need to remember that as we're sharing stuff in a church meeting, in a public church meeting, that's not a whole lot different than just going out there and standing on the, the rooftop and just shouting to the whole community whatever it is, the news that you're proclaiming. So backbiting can take several different forms, but it's the same way with whispering. And I'd say maybe this is probably the more common in the church. And whispering, that whole idea of putting people down privately, could take the form of desiring revenge with something. Maybe someone has done something to hurt you, said some words that hurt, or done something to hurt you, and you might want to seek revenge. Have you ever had these words come out of your mouth? I don't get mad, I get even, right? I don't get mad, I get even. Now, some of you may not be so bold as to come right out and say that, but is that not oftentimes the, the attitude that we have with one another when someone hurts us? Is it not our, our temptation to defend ourselves? I mean, think about kids on the playground. If there's two kids in the playground and one kid insults the other kid, let's say he says, you're stupid. Now, kids, I know we're not supposed to say that, right? Your parents have told you that. Don't say stupid. But, you know, let's just say they say that. They say, you're stupid. Well, what's the kid going to do that's been told he's stupid. Well, he's going to say, well, you're stupid too. Or he's going to say, well, you're ugly. Or he's going to come up with some other insult because that is our quote-unquote natural tendency to defend ourselves. 
But I don't care whether it's the playgrounds of America or whether it's the corporate offices of Fortune 500 companies. It is natural to defend ourselves by striking back and speaking evil of those who speak evil of us. And it happens even in our relationships, our most intimate relationships. I've probably shared with most of you, you've probably heard me say at one time or another, when my wife and I do marriage counseling, we sometimes have couples that have trouble getting along. We sort of call them porcupine couples, okay? Because it seems like whenever they get close to one another, they just hurt each other. You know, and so they'll, one will say something to sort of accuse the other one, and the one who is hurt will then reach back into the recesses of their memory and pull out some wrong that that person has done to them, and they'll throw it like a hand grenade into their face so it'll explode and cause that person to back off or to pay them back for the hurt that they've gotten. It could take a form as that. Or it could even be something as what appears as innocent as making a sarcastic remark or a clever induendo, but it's designed in a calculated way to build us up and to put the person down that we're talking about. So revenge may be one way that we see whispering, but I think, and I wonder, if the, the motive that produces the most slanderous talk is no more than the mere desire to talk when really there's nothing to say. Now, what I mean by that is this. How often do people get together and end up talking about other people in a critical way simply because they don't have anything else to talk about? Have you ever done that? You know, maybe you're getting together with some buddies or you're talking or, you know, one example I can think of is, is sort of the stereotypical Hollywood you know, uh, teenage girl sleepover type thing and they're all in their pajamas and they're doing their nails and, and stuff and all of a sudden they start talking about this girl at school and how she dresses or can you believe that this person does this and, you know, just what might seem like innocent conversation at first sort of devolves into criticism amongst other people. But it's the same with us as Christians. I mean, we can run into that temptation maybe even after church where it's like, wow, could you believe how long Pastor Rick's sermon went? I mean, I just thought, good night. I was like, okay, we get the point. Let's move on. You know, or, you know, you may be talking about, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in church in a long time. You know, I, I hear that they're just lazy. They just won't get up and come to church. And, you know, next thing you know, our tongues are wagging and we're speaking evil against other people. And it can be so easy, whether it be here at church or midweek Bible study. It, it may even be about around the dinner table in your home where you're tempted to speak evil of others. And so slander or speaking evil can be anything from out-and-out -out lies to speaking the truth in carelessness or even hatred towards other people. And James reminds us that it's vital that Christians discern and depart from every appearance of evil speaking towards others. And not only ought we not to speak slander towards others, but we must not listen to it either. Uh, if I could quote Thomas Manton again, he said, Your ears may be as guilty as their tongues. Your ears may be as guilty as their tongues. And what he's trying to say is, if we listen to slander without expressing our dislike for it, then we're just as guilty as the person who's saying the slander. As a church, if we would just say, Hey, whoa, I think you ought to not be telling me this. You know, maybe you need to go talk to so-and-so. If that's really a problem with them, you need to go talk with them. If we did that, I bet it would be amazing how much 
our speech would possibly change in the, in the church. And that's why James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. He says, stop it. In essence, what he's sort of saying is quit attacking the body. Quit causing the problems within the, the local church body. And then he begins to talk about why it is that what how or excuse me, not why, but what it is that is happening or sort of what the motives of our hearts are that cause us to speak ill of others. And I just want to give three real quick that he lists here in in the text. First of all, he says, whenever we speak ill of others, what we're really doing is we're sitting in judgment upon that person. He says at the end of verse 11, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. In, in speaking evil against others, what we really are doing is placing ourselves as judge over that other person. You know, it's so easy for us to mistakenly think that our perception of life is so clear and it's without sin. Do you ever feel that way? Do you feel, ever feel like, well, I just see things so clearly. And if so-and-so would just listen to what I have to tell them, I can make their life so much easier. Right? We oftentimes will fall into that trap. And so we set ourselves up as the standard between what's right and what's wrong. And we ended up sitting in judgment over another person's heart. Now, I, I do want to clarify that it is obvious that we can't avoid uh, uh, forming opinions about each other. In all of our communication with others, whether it's verbal, whether it's nonverbal, it leads us to make judgments of others and to draw conclusions about who they are. I, I, you just can't stop that from happening. And, and it, so while it's not wrong to hold those opinions uh, with respect to other people, we must be careful that these opinions are firmly based on the faithful application of Scripture and assessed in a generous, loving, and compassionate spirit on our part towards us people. And if we do that, then we're going to be able to guard against this. But so often, that's not the way that we view others. How easy it is to put others down and to tell a truth that embarrasses them or humiliates them just so that we look better. Rarely, I think it's interesting, rarely do we see each other as peers. And what I mean by that is that we see each other on the same level. You know, don't we often exalt ourselves to sort of a higher position than others? And I think it goes back to that whole thing of thinking that we see clearly and sort of exalting ourselves. And we sort of put ourselves in a different category. I heard a teacher say one time, you know, when we're going through life, we're sort of looking like, you know, you ever seen those shows where you don't see the people, but you just see the camera and the camera is the eyes of the people? They said we're sort of like that oftentimes when it comes to our own sin. All we see is other people and what they're doing and stuff, but we're never really evaluating or seeing our, our own sins. And, and, uh, and yet um, the relationship of us being brothers and sisters in Christ puts us all on the same level, sort of as Galatians 3.28 talks about. So it's improper for us to claim or to exercise any sense of superiority over each other. We all struggle with sin. Amen? Amen. So none of us are the firstborn. We are simply co-equal family members of the body of Christ. But not only do we sit in judgment of others, but we also sit in judgment of God's law. 
He says in uh, verse 11, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. In speaking evil against others, what we're really doing is placing ourselves as a judge over the law of God. Now you say, now wait a minute, I don't do that. But think about it just, just a moment. There's several ways probably we do that, but let me just mention one. Think about it this way. Every sin that we commit is an affront to the law that forbids that sin, right? So every sin that we commit is an affront to the law that says don't do that. So by doing what is contrary to that law, we are in effect judging the law to say that it is not worthy enough for us to obey. And I'll give you an example. Uh, let's imagine that you're driving through an area that has road construction. You probably can't relate to this illustration, can you, in Kansas? But, okay, you're, you're driving through an area that has road construction, and the speed limit is 35 miles an hour. And you're driving 55, and you see that 35, and you slow down, you're thinking, 35? That is ridiculous. I can walk faster than that. So you sort of decide in your mind, you know, I do need to slow down, so I'll slow down to 45. You know, or maybe even 40. But 35? 35 is sort of ridiculous. And so we sort of cruise on through that road construction at, at 40 or 45 miles an hour, a speed that's more reasonable in our minds. But in essence, what we're doing when we do that is, is that we are judging the law that says 35 miles an hour, and we're finding that law unfit to obey, unworthy to be obeyed. And so we establish our own law and we, follow, and we follow the law that we established rather than the one that's declared by the state of Kansas. And sin, so in essence, is really judging the law. David was asked by the prophet uh, Nathan, remember when he sinned with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed? Uh, Nathan said, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You see, Nathan understood that when we sin, we really, it's a sin against the law of God. And he said in the heat of his desire, David looked on God's law as sort of weak or, or light or something that didn't necessarily that he needed to follow. So whenever we're confronted by God's law and give in to that sin, there's always some underlying evil thoughts by which the law of God is devalued or disapproved in our own minds. We think it's unworthy or we might think that it's unfair or that it's too hard. And you know, this is exactly what Satan wants to do. This is how Satan works, if you think about it. I mean, his, his great policy that he did even in the Garden of Eden with, with Eve, he still does today, is that he wants us to view God as a harsh taskmaster master, and make us uh, think evil of the law that God gives. But God's word tells us to love each other. I mean, we just said that this morning, did we not? When we talked about what is the summation of the Ten Commandments. If you could put it in a summary statement. What's the cliff notes to the Ten Commandments? What did we say? That we would love God, but also that we would love others as well. And, and we saw what that love looks like when we went through the series on 1 Corinthians 13. But, but we oftentimes... Uh, place ourselves as a judge over the law and trying to decide if we want to do it or not. And oftentimes as we stand as a judge, then we end up not doing what God's law says. And that's why James says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. 
And then he goes on, he says, not only do you judge others and judge the law of God, but you judge God himself, if you think about it. And that makes sense. If we're going to sit in judgment over God's law, are we not also then sitting in judgment of God himself? Um, because what we are doing is we are disputing the authority of God. God has given us his law and we are questioning that law. And so we are also disputing the, the authority of the lawgiver as well. Because God's law is an expression of who he is and what he is. His laws are, are not just arbitrary collection of precepts which he wrote down. No, God said basically to his people, let me reveal to you who I am. And I will reveal my character in these laws. And as my people live out these laws in their lives, the law of God will be seen in their mortal bodies. The way the New Testament says, talks about this is we will become like Jesus Christ. We pray to become like Jesus Christ all the time. And God is saying, I have given you my law. I have shown you my character. As you obey my laws, you will, you will live like Christ. Because he fulfilled the law as well. So to be controlled by our pride and value our opinions above the law of God is to value ourselves above God. Basically what we're saying is I'm going to take my elbow and I want to nudge God off his throne. And I want to sit on that throne and I want to rule. And so James leaves us with the question as we consider this, he says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And I want us to think about that this morning. It's so easy for us to speak ill of others. And we don't really think that much about it. And in some ways, we might even justify ourselves but by saying, well, actually, they're probably worse than what I'm laying them out to be, right? So I'm actually trying to be nice to them, you know, so I'm not saying all the evil things I could say. And we sort of feel like that's okay. But as we come this morning and we realize that really as we do those things, as we speak evil against one another, what we're doing is, is we're judging that person and God's law and God himself. And so, who are you to judge your neighbor? Do we think so highly of ourselves? Are we so full of pride and arrogance that we think that we are a fit judge to sit in judgment of our brothers and sisters in God and his law? And that's why James says in verse 10, humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. We are not to exalt ourselves. Brothers and sisters, we belong together in the love which manifests itself in mutual care and concern for each other. The love that, that sees the needs of others and reaches out to them. We, God has not saved us so that we could destroy one another. I'll tell you what really hit me this week, okay? And this, this hit me like a ton of bricks as I was studying this text. And then I read Revelation 12.10. And Revelation 12.10, Satan is called the accuser of the brothers who accuses them day and night before God. And, and, and as I was thinking about that, and then thinking about the struggle that we have to speak evil of one another, I thought, wow. We are no different than Satan when we do that. We are accusing our brothers and sisters of their sin. We're not recognizing what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them 
and we are not treating them compassionately and graciously. We are our brothers and sisters' accusers who accuse them before God and others. And we must recognize that belittling others begins in, in our lives, um, begins and, and lives on in our minds long before they pass out into words. Do you hear what I'm saying? In other words, before we start talking about other people, we oftentimes rehearse in our head these wrongs that people have done or these things that we think about people. And brothers and sisters, if we would uh, apply the gospel to our thoughts, oftentimes those thoughts would never express themselves in words. And I know preachers stand up before you and they say, read God's word every day. Read God's word every day. Well, I will tell you this. The beauty of God's word is, as we saw in James, is this is a mirror to my soul. And if I stay away from this, if I take this and toss this over there, and I live my life throughout the week without God's word, you know what happens? I begin to think a lot more of myself. I just fall right back into that, don't you? You just sort of begin to forget how much you sin. You sort of forget sort of really what your motives are. You start making excuses for the, the wrongs that you do. And you just begin to naturally become more proud. But as you spend time in God's word every day, then what happens is it's a mirror of your soul. And you read God's word and he shows you not only the things that we say that are right or wrong or, or the actions that we do that are wrong, but it even gets down to the very attitudes and the motives of our hearts. And we begin to see ourselves for who we are. And then we begin to walk humbly before our God and, and realize that we don't deserve His wonderful grace as He is. So as we, as we close today, I want that question that we read in verse 12 to be on your minds. Do you sense an element, or do you, do you uh, hear what James is saying? Do you, who are you to judge your neighbor, your neighbor? And as you hear that question, do you sense an element of warmth in James' question? Do you think, yeah, I need to ask myself that. I need to do that. That would be the right thing to do, to ask that question. Would we say, as James does, I am a person seeking to walk in the lowliest humility with God, for I know that this is the way of blessing, and I have learned that the way down is the way up. I seek for myself the lowest place, that I would not think too much of myself. But brothers and sisters, if we exalt ourselves over our brothers and sisters, is not the reality of our life to be called into question with God? Are we functioning as those who have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let us walk, be in step with God that we might honor him in all that we say and we do in relation to each other. Please, um, let's, let's take just some time and to bow our heads. We have this time every, for those of you that are visiting, we just have a time of silence after the sermon to just reflect upon the word that was preached, that the Spirit is convicting you of something, to give you opportunity to confess that. Maybe you need a time of prayer, whatever it might be. Let's just take a, a few moments of silence to, to meditate upon the things that we've heard and to respond to God appropriately.